You're listening to the Psychedelic Invest Podcast, where we speak with founders, CEOs, investors, advisors, experts, and thought leaders in the brave new world of psychedelics and entheogenic medicines. Brought to you by Psychedelic Invest, bringing you unparalleled psychedelic investing data and analysis. Psychedelic Invest is the industry's leading resource for those looking to invest in the burgeoning psychedelic industry. For more information and to access all of the podcast episodes, check out our website at psychedelicinvest.com slash podcast. And now here's the host of the Psychedelic Invest podcast, Bruce Eckfeld. Welcome, everyone. This is the Psychedelic Invest podcast. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. Our guest today is Jim Gilligan. He is interim CEO and CSO at Trip Therapeutics. We're going to talk about what they're doing, uh, particularly with psilocybin and how they're kind of approaching the market. Very kind of interesting, very kind of pharmaceutical approach to the whole business. I think this is a really fascinating area. I think this is, you know, obviously a big part of psychedelics is figure out how do we provide real solutions to patients, uh, to people in need? Uh, How do we develop those solutions? How do we test those solutions? How do we actually get them to market? Um, You know, we're in the thick of that with many kind of compounds, psilocybin obviously being just one of several, but uh, a really interesting one and a really powerful one. Jim's got a great story in his background and how to get involved in this and really the skills and insights and experience that he's bringing to Trip and uh, what they hope to do with the market. So with all that, Jim, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bruce. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, chat with you guys. Yeah, well, it's happy to, happy to have you here. Happy to hear the story and get into the details. Before we get into Trip and what you're doing today, I'd uh, love to get some background. You know, you professionally, how did you get into this work? How did you get into psychedelics? How did Trip come about? Give us the backstory. Sure. So, you know, I'm classically trained. I have a PhD in pharmacology, you know, so I, at the drug discovery side, so I did a postdoc in molecular biology. And let's just say I've been at this since the mid 80s. Yeah. So I've yeah. been involved, you know, for quite some time. You started time. when you were two and you know, yeah, worked up Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, the story was I was going to go into biotech for like three years and go to big farm. And I ended up being at a company, Unigene, for 28 years. So a little bit longer. Yeah. But it was tremendous proving grounds, right? I, I had to learn everything from the bottom up. And it just was afforded a tremendous opportunity to understand drug development and all the different components that need to come together to be successful. You know, I mentioned to people, you can have a cure for cancer or a Nobel Prize winning molecule, but if you don't know how to get across the, the finish line, as you were saying, Bruce, you're not going to help people. Yeah. And so it was, it was learning. And in 2000, I went back on MBA in international business and uh, got involved in the transaction part where we were licensing technology we developed to the farm industry, like, you know, big guys like Merck, mm-hmm. Pfizer, GSK. And so understood that part of, of uh, the business. And we did a spin-off called Tarsa Therapeutics, took a, a drug, an osteoporosis drug, all the way through an NDA filing. And after that, I, I actually started doing some consulting. And that's how I happened along with Trip. They asked me to actually look at one of their early products that they had was an oncology product. I looked at that. Oh. <laughs> And they asked me to look at their PFN program. And I go, what's that? They go, psilocybin for neuropsychiatric disorders. And my first response was, God, CNS is too typical. You know, it's, ah, interesting. it's, it's a tough field, right? Uh-huh. And, but they asked me to look at it. And because it was really outside my immediate expertise, I had to do a lot of reading. And that's when I started looking at the background information on the use of psychedelics uh-huh. and became very intrigued. 
And the thing that really hooked me was they had already brought on Robin Carhart Harris as uh, head of the scientific advisory board. And they said, you know, feel free to get in touch with Robin. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's a resource for you. And it was in those discussions with Robin that I got an even much better appreciation for the potential of psychedelic-assisted therapy. And Robin was incredibly kind and patient with me, let's just put it that way, <laughs> in getting me up uh, the learning curve. And um, so that's it. I, and I kid people. So I went from being a consultant. They said, well, can we have more of your time? Yeah. And then came CSO. And then, well, we can use a little more time, president. And then it morphed into being interim CEO. But I wouldn't have done it if I wasn't passionate about the space and really understanding the tremendous potential for unmet medical needs. And I, you know, people throw this, you know, Bruce, they say it all the time, it's transformed, it's transformed. I do think that this treatment paradigm can be transformative for certain people's lives. And, you know, that's why I'm, I'm committed to, you know, bringing, bringing these programs forward. Yeah. I'm curious, just given your background, how much, you know, before you got involved in psychedelics, like how much of that experience kind of knowledge were you able to kind of directly translate and transfer into the work you're doing today at the trip? How much yeah, kind of you know, didn't transfer well? And then like, what, yeah, what were the things yeah, that you were surprised it's, by? It's, 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 it's a great question because we're in meetings all the time and they go, Jim, how do you know all this? And it's, it's sort of by osmosis, right? It's sort of been there, done that. And yeah. so you, you know, what happens very often is there's always problems, right? There's always things that, uh, issues that come up that need to be solved. And I can just draw on my experience mm-hmm. on things that, you know, I encountered personally or, or, or through my network. And so I've been able to leverage those when it comes to different issues, whether it be regulatory manufacturing. When I was in the, the biotech industry, we built our own GMP manufacturing facility. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, sort of jack of all trades, master of none. So all the different areas I've, I've been in clinical, preclinical, you know, regulatory uh, on BD side. So, I feel pretty comfortable dealing with a, a, a variety of issues as they arise. And we have a great team. All of our, all the folks that I work with all have 25 plus years experience in the farm industry. And so they're a wealth of information as well. So collectively, you know, up until now, I shouldn't jinx us. You know, we haven't come up with anything that, <laughs> that we haven't been able to handle, but uh, it, it's, and, and this field is changing uh, yeah. Bruce, the way way we do clinical research, you know, one of my pet issues I, I kid people about is how do you perform a double-blind placebo-controlled study in in patients when they know <laughs> you're given a psychedelic? Yeah. Um, you know, it's pretty obvious. You know, it's not like taking a blood pressure pill. We don't know if your blood pressure is changing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll adapt. We'll adapt and we'll have to be creative. But um, it's really, really a brave new world. Yeah. I'm curious when you, you know, in your kind of history or, or sort of generally when you approach uh, kind of a new compound or, or a new solution and kind of thinking through evaluating it, figuring out how you're going to test it, what you're going to test, you know, how the process is going to work, where the issues might be. Like, how, how has that general model been applied for you in psilocybin and what has, you know, what what's kind of pretty much a layup for you in terms of how we do this and what has been kind of challenges yeah. in terms it's of, you know, how we another, do with this? You're on your A game today, Bruce. That's another <laughs> great question. Part of what I looked at in my history, you know, when I was looking at things was what's called 505B2s. And 505B2 is where you take a molecule that's pretty well known and and maybe reapply it to a different indication. And so one of the beauties with psilocybin is we know it has biology and we know it has a good 
track record of safety, yeah. right? So those are two of the biggest risk factors in drug development. I applaud people with new chemical entities, new NCEs and analogs, but that's a lot more risky than what we're doing with psilocybin. And to, to, to give it a little flavor, as we discussed before, when you ingest psilocybin, it's mm-hmm. actually a pro-drug and your body converts it to psilocin. Okay. Even our move with the FDA to just give psilocin, which is what actually circulates in the body, we had to do a whole series of preclinical studies, bridging tox studies with a molecule that's well known. And so from my perspective, if you if you have a drug that has been pretty much de-risked to a great extent, your likelihood of success is much higher. And, you know, I, I want a W. You know, people get in this field, you know, I play competitive sports, I want to win. And I think that taking this approach will give us the highest likelihood of a successful outcome. Yeah. You talked about some of the indications. I mean, when you started to look at this and where it could get applied, I mean, how do you how do you evaluate kind of the market, you know, impact or the market viability of something? Like, And in this case, where did you see the real kind of uh, opportunities? So part of, we, we came in a little bit later, right? You know, you yep. had Cybin, you had Compass out there and they're doing a great job in TRD, anxiety and that area. So we tried to look at what other areas might benefit from psychedelic-assisted therapy. And, and we did this in conjunction with, with all our collaborators. You know, we, we weren't the subject matter experts in eating disorders or nosoplastic pain or IBS. You know, that came from our partners. But we, we you know, we did sort of a, a survey and we started thinking about what areas where there'd be potential. And there was anecdotal information out there in, in different areas. And so, you know, we elected, as you know, to go after eating disorders with binge eating being the first. Mm-hmm. And then this this class of pain that I didn't know what it was when I first started, nosoplastic pain being pain that originates in the brain. And IBS is is a corollary to that because we're, we're really focusing on abdominal pain and visceral sensitivity in patients with IBS. And it turns out about 35% of them also have fibromyalgia. So you can sort of see that same pain network in play. And we felt that we would look at those areas. And you're absolutely right. People could say, yeah, Jim, that's great. It's a brand new area, but will it succeed? And that was our rationale for the 8802 studies, TRIP 8802. We could use off-the-shelf oral psilocybin, do a small 10 patient open label study and confirm whether or not our hypothesis, right, is correct. Uh-huh. And we that's exactly what we did in the binge eating. Those results were were striking and better than than I had anticipated. And what what's actually happening in that in the binge eating? What's the, what's the neuroline kind of mechanism that the psychedelics is, is impacting? Yeah, so we we've had what's interesting is people sort of had a concept before we did the study and now I think it's it's changed a little, but what they really think is it's a behavioral modification. And when we're talking with the experts, they say, you know, Jim, and looking at this, people have gastric bypass surgery, right? They, they do these things. And of course, they, they initially lose weight, mm-hmm. but after several years, they gain it back. Why? Because their behavior hasn't yeah. changed. Same thing with Ozempic. You know, you can take Ozempic. It's, I, I worked in the satiety field with peptides, uh, uh, GLP analogs and whatnot. Uh-huh. And they do, they do work. They suppress your appetite. But again, once you stop, if you yeah, haven't exactly. changed the behavior, yeah. you, you're right back at it. So we think Sis. that what you're really doing is through neuroplasticity, sort of rearranging some of those networks that have an impact on behavior and allow you 
to to change to change that behavior. Mm-hmm. And we also feel it's important to help people with the environment. So you, you talk to people with a dietitian, you know, talk to them about exercise and do things that complement that change in behavior. And we'll do the same thing in pain with physical therapy and and whatnot. So we we really think it's to an extent, there's a holistic approach, right? You get the benefit, but you don't want to put them back in the same environment that <laughs> that caused the problem to begin with, right? You want to try to approach it from two angles. Yeah. And, and are you developing both sort of the pharmaceutical compound and the treatment protocols and, and process as well? Or how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. So we... That, that's 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 exactly what we decided to do. Um, we're working with Fluence. And when we met with them, we said, you know, we understand that the core of training for the facilitators, for the therapists, is certainly on the administration of psychedelics and how and how to deal with the patient, build the rapport. But we also felt that there was an opportunity to customize the therapy to the patient. And to Fluence's credit, they they went to down to Florida, talked to the PIs down there to understand the patient profiles, right? Understand their phenotype. And so part of our training manual there was customized towards people with eating disorders. We did the exact same thing at University of Michigan. They went down, met with the folks there. We changed that training manual a fair amount because we're dealing with pain. And then we used the University of Michigan template went, uh, because it was based on pain for the, the study at Harvard IBS. So when they went and did the training there, they took into account, you know, what the, the background is of IBS patients. So each of the training manuals has a common part, but then they have a customized aspect or component that's tailored to the, the target indication. And g- given kind of the state of the world and, and, you know, how new we are as an industry, how how does the kind of training the therapist play into your business model in terms of like how you actually get impact. I mean, we, we only have so many therapists we need, we need, you know, to treat X number of people, right? The math starts to get complicated at some point. Like how, how does that affect your model? At the, at the Denver conference, the psychedelic science conference, people were doing the math Yeah, and they, and it's, it's daunting. So for us, with TRIP 8803, because it's an IV infusion, we expect our treatment period will be between one and two hours, right? Okay. And because we'll know sort of exactly when uh, the patients will be entering the psychedelic state, we've been talking with folks like Fluence and, and groups that, that provide the services where you can have a central monitor with a single facilitator in the room. And again, you know, you, you would have one point whatever facilitators per patient in for two hours versus with with oral dosing, it could be eight hours. You know, two yeah. facilitators for eight. So we think that that's a little bit more scalable. There's there's um, we'll get to this, but we're looking to do a clinical study in Australia. You know, my med Australia. All the different groups now are trying to accelerate uh, training. Uh, Fluences yes. do a lot of training. They're starting to do you know remote training courses and things. So I think you'll start seeing that. And, you know, with Compass being out there and with MDMA, you know, for PTSD, I think there'll be a push for more and more people to take those courses. And and I know when we did at the universities, we opened it up to people, you know, not particularly associated with them. Within a day, we had all the people, we we capped it at 12. Within a day, we would have 12 people want to take the courses. And so we just offered that to, you know, graduate students and people wanted to be in the field. So I think, as we get closer to commercial launch, we'll see more and more groups offering training. But it's it's important, you know, when 
in Denver, they were talking about how do you get consistency? You know, it's great when you're doing a clinical study and it's really, you know, very regimented. But when you look at things where you're going to be launching this, you know, wider areas, how do you ensure that consistency? How do you ensure that the, the, the therapy part will be what was done in the clinical studies to show it to be a benefit? So there's, there's some, you know, continued work to be done. Now, you've mentioned a couple other groups that are taking some of this psilocybin-based solutions to market or, or at least going through clinical trials. How much do you see you know, these focus as competitors and you're all kind of head-to-head? How much do you feel like you're all just trying to push this industry and you're, you're all kind of like, there's really no competition right now. It's just trying to expand. What's yes. the kind of general market position or sense right now? Yeah, I think my sense, my personal sense is all ships rise with the rising tide. And yeah. So I applaud Compass. I, you know, look at they're they're the pioneers. You know, they were out there yeah. and, and doing things in a tie and, and and those groups. And so, you know, we we applaud their efforts. And and Bruce, think about the change in the industry over the last year or so. There are twelve thousand four hundred people in yeah. Denver for that meeting. I yeah. mean, you know, you have articles, you know, in the Wall Street Journal. And now in Australia, starting July 1st, they're allowing limited uh, psychiatrists to prescribe Mm -hmm. psilocybin for TRD and MDMA for PTSD. So clearly the external environment is improving. I think the, the biggest hurdle that I see right now is how do we get these molecules rescheduled? The Schedule 1 issue with the DEA is is problematic. And I'm not criticizing the DEA. You know, I, their major job isn't looking at clinical protocols and figuring out how to ship clinical materials to science. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's what they're tasked with. The FDA, I think, has really gotten up the learning curve. They seem incredibly insightful. They're, they get it. But this this need to go to both the federal, national DEA, and then local DEA is... It's tough. You know, we mentioned this. It took us in, in Michigan from the t- from the time that FDA gave us the, the letter allowed to proceed 13 months to get through all the DEA issues. Wow. And so you can imagine when you're trying to do a larger study on a state by state basis, how cumbersome this could be. Right. Yeah. And so there are a number of senators. There, there are folks out there who are starting to say, hey, wait a second. The definition of a schedule one drug is it has no clinical benefit. Clearly, we have a clinical benefit here, and we need to facilitate the ability for people. This is where you start in the beginning. How can we facilitate quality research to really figure out where it works, where it doesn't work, where it's safe, and to optimize it for for the patient so that they have the best possible solution? And a key is, is to make it easier for reputable institutions to perform clinical. I know I'm on my soapbox now. But, <laughs> That's <laughs> but, fine. <laughs> but yeah, just allow us to, to do our job. Just allow us to do the work that's going to answer these questions. And we're, we're not asking for you know approval ahead of time. Just let us do the requisite work that's required to satisfy the regulators. That's all we're asking. Yeah. And what's really going to change scheduling and change policy at the DEA? I mean, is this, you know, from a, a regulatory kind of Congress point of view, is this just pressure from the industry? Is like, what what's going to drive change I, here? I think it's it's going to be multifaceted. I think it's going to have to come from from the regulators. I think, you know, FDA has already improved their, their communication with the DEA, but I think the DEA would just love to get it off their plate. I think, you know, there there is momentum 
There were a number of, of presentations again in Denver talking about organizations that are lobbying to get these things changed. I mean, you know, you heard Rick Perry was there. I mean, you have Cory Booker, you have Rand Paul, you have all these folks mm-hmm. who are recognizing that, hey, we need to do something. Mental health crisis is, is a major issue in this country. Yeah. And right now we're impeding clinical research to, to address this issue. And so I'm hoping that as this gets more visibility and you have a groundswell of folks pushing for this, that'll get the attention and it'll be rescheduled. Yeah. So I, I know you're focused on psilocybin. Is there any other compounds, you know, psychedelic or psychedelic in nature or psychedelic related that you're kind of have on your radar or you think might be, you know, kind of future areas of investigation for you? Yeah. So my plate's full right now. Yes. Our plate's full with IV psilocin, but I've been looking at it actually from the standpoint of is there some combination therapies, even with drugs that are, are distinct from other psychedelics. I know people have looked at MDMA and, mm-hmm. and, and different combinations. With my background, thinking about other sort of drugs that we understand their mechanism of action that may help potentiate or maintain uh, the impact. Some of the stuff I don't I, I don't want to go into too deeply because I'm thinking about how I, how to write some paths around this. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I do think that there there's potential. And I, the other area that I think is that people are starting to think about as well is what about maintenance dosing, right? You know, yeah. we see we see durability response, which is phenomenal, right? Out, you know, three months, six months. And what what's going to be the treatment paradigm as they go forward? You know, they're talking with the therapist and you know, they feel that they might be slipping a little bit. What would be how would you then do that? Would you go through another full treatment or is there a way to do something that's a little more abbreviated, you know, sort of just topping it off a bit? And I think as as the field advances and we start understanding a little bit better, you know, what is the durability? What's the difference in the different patient populations that we'll start addressing? Are there ways to do that? I know the therapists we're talking to are saying, well, Jim, it's great because, you know, with the IV infusion, if we bring them in, it can maybe only be 15 minutes, you know, just boom, you know, do something short and then then have the therapy session afterwards. But nobody knows. We really don't have a good handle on that right now. But I, I do think that's something that the field will start thinking about as we progress. Yeah. Yeah. And on some of these uh, second, third generation psychedelics, the, uh, I think you mentioned some of the analogs and related compounds and stuff. Like, where do you see some of that stuff going? I mean, I've, I've heard people you know, trying to develop like triplets psychedelics and, you know, trying to look at different aspects of either the experience or the therapeutic process. I mean, do you think there's a future in kind of just really new innovative compounds here? Yeah. And so that's, you know, that's one of the things, will you get the therapeutic benefit with quotes without the trip, right? Yeah. And there, there's the lines have been drawn there. One of the things that we're doing with 8803 is up until now, we really haven't been able to correlate what blood levels are required to enter the psychedelic state and then what blood levels are correlated with the intensity of the psychedelic state. And then how does that correlate with clinical outcomes? And so in our studies with 8803, we have targets. So because we're infusing psilocin, Mm -hmm. we'll have a target. And we'll reach this, we'll have a loading dose, we'll get to that target, then we'll maintain it for out to two hours mm-hmm. and then stop the infusion. The other thing we'll figure out is how long does the, the psychedelic state persist post stopping the infusion. Yeah. And what we want to do is say, okay, measuring EEG, doing the, the psychometric questionnaire, you know, and looking at the blood levels, what is the ideal target? What yeah. is the ideal duration? So we'll be able to answer some of those. 
And once, once we understand that, it could facilitate future drugs that have that profile, right? Yeah. Um, right now, it doesn't exist. So we're using IV administration to achieve that. Um, but you're right. There could be, once we have a little bit better handle on it, there could be drugs in the future. And, you know, people ask me about that. And I said, but that's fine because at, by that time, I'll definitely be on the golf course. I wouldn't have to, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have to worry about that. Someone I'll, else's I'll, problem. Yeah, someone else's. Exactly. So I just want to get this uh this baby over over the finish line and uh and if we help people other people come up with innovative approaches that are more convenient that's great but yeah. you know right now i want to i want to focus my efforts here yeah let's talk about the business side what what has it been like in terms of you know putting together the team the partnerships i mean how is is that kind of the standard challenges that you have found in other kind of you know companies doing this kind of work or is it different or or you know harder or easier in um, well, psychology? I used, I used to be six four and I think I shrunk with all this on my shoulders um the it's let's say the, the environment's been tough Bruce you know that and it's, mm-hmm. it's for for the bio biotech and and healthcare in general and particularly you know the psychedelic field really got hammered and so what we had to do from a business perspective is we really had to consolidate and focus on on really just the, the the studies that we said we've we had other programs planned but we had these three that were a key focus along with advancing 8803 you know that that just doing the preclinical work to support 8803 to get in the clinic took seven studies and over a million dollars so wow. you know we we had a sort of shepherd our funds and we felt that our foundation was sound and so over the last, since JP Morgan this year, I've been out uh, with Peter Malloy, our, our chief business officer, and we've been going out um, and getting pretty good reception. I think people are, are, are starting to look uh, into the field. They feel it's, uh, they feel it's exciting. Um, they, I think they see that the risk potential um, has improved with, bet, with really good data out there, including some of our data. And so we... My sense is that um, hopefully this year, next year, we'll see more uh, uh, funding coming in. You know, we raised the 2.4 million Australian, and uh, we did that uh, w- with our partners in, in Australia. It literally, from the time we decided to do, within a couple of weeks, um, we had it teed up, and so we'll continue to look at ways to um, get additional funding. Yep. Um, we, we, we have, you know, we, we want to do more work. We want to advance our programs. And uh, I, I have to say that the difference in about 12 months in receptivity from the from the investors has improved. And, yep. and so hopefully we'll start seeing more deals uh, being being done. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, if I kind of give you a magic wand and sort of change one thing about the industry, um I'll, I'll let you kind of be broad in deciding what yeah. you want to use it for. But what would you like? What would you change? Like, what's the thing that's really holding psychedelics back or or preventing us from having more benefit? I think we touched on it with the yeah. DEA. I think you know I had this discussion with folks in Denver, and in stepping back, you know, sometimes you be, you you get so involved in in your own story and your own thing. And and as I started thinking about it, I'm like, if we're going to really bring this forward and and want to be able to help patients we have to start thinking about the fact that some of these patients will be people's parents and grandparents or people that that are really sick and we want to really make certain that what we do is a benefit and we don't want to rush in and do things too quickly 
and not be careful because all we need is there to be a series of really bad adverse events or some uh, someone with suicidal ideation where people commit suicide or whatever, something yeah. horrible. And that will that can damage the entire sector. So we want to move, as I say, with alacrity, but we want to be cautious. We want to do it correctly so that we can really realize the, the potential of, of, of these drugs. But let's let's temper and, and just do it correctly and and not try to cut corners that that could hurt. And, you know, that's what we were saying before, Bruce. You know, someone if a study was done particularly poorly and there was, you know, a, a catastrophic event that could that could damage other people in the sector. So I think the, the sense is from the people that I, that, that I talk to, they understand that they want to make sure that work is done appropriately, safely, you know, safety first, do no harm, make sure that your studies uh, take into account safety. I'll, I'll give you a perfectly good example. In our 8803 study, we, we did PK modeling, but in between each cohort, we're going to get the PK data and adjust the next dose to make sure that we get the correct dose. Yeah. So we're, we're being very cautious in going forward. And in the long run, if you get it right, you, you'll actually get there quicker. You just want to make sure that all the, the initial work is done appropriately. And people see that. As, and, and if you get good data and you, and you have be able to answer questions, then you're going to get the investors. Then you're going to get yeah. the people to come in because they feel your story sound and you'll be able to accelerate your program. So it's been tough for everyone in the field. I have admiration for everybody, the, the stick to itness keeping their, you know, keep your sight on the goal. And I'm hoping that 2020, the remainder of 2023 and 2024, we'll see just as even more exciting advancements than we've seen over the past 12 months. Yeah. Jim, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Trip Therapeutics, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, I just go, I think if you go to the website, we're, we're, we're uh, really now trying to update the website uh, uh, and keep it up to date. And and doing things like having the ability to speak with you, Bruce, uh, and affording us the opportunity to tell people about what we're doing. And we're hoping uh, now to start uh, presenting more and more meetings, you know, just getting the word out. I kid people, you know, you don't want to be the best kept secret in the industry. You know, you want to, <laughs> you want to have a little bit higher profile. So yeah. we're, we're, we're making an effort to do that. And I think everyone's sort of coming out of the little bit of downturn. And so we're, we're certainly trying to get a little bit higher visibility and we're, you know, more than happy and open to talk to people. Yeah. So this is my pleasure. I'm going to make sure all the links are in the show notes so people can get that information. And thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you for listening to the Psychedelic Invest podcast. If you liked this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and leave us a review. You can find more episodes on all the major podcasting platforms and our website at psychedelicinvest.com slash podcast. <laughs>